Hello and welcome. You're listening to Connected and Ready, an ongoing conversation about innovation, resilience and our capacity to succeed, brought to you by Microsoft. I'm Gemma Milne. I'm a technology journalist and author, and I'm going to be exploring trends around how companies are adapting to a disrupted world and preparing for tomorrow. We're going to speak to the innovators who are bringing products, operations and people together in new ways. On today's episode, I'm speaking to Richard Wong, CEO of Coding Dojo, which recently launched a new initiative called Tech for America. They're connecting their alumni group of coders to small businesses that need development help during the coronavirus crisis, all for no charge. We dive into some of the projects they've launched, the challenges in doing digital transformation on a budget and at speed, and how they worked with small businesses to enable contactless commerce, continuation of jobs, and more. There's loads in here to learn from Richard's experience over the last weeks and months. So with that, on with the show. Richard, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. So we're here to talk about what's happened with you guys recently. So the coronavirus crisis has uncovered a way that Coding Dojo could help businesses in need. Can you tell me a little bit about this story um, of how Tech for America came into being? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, we've been in business since 2013. And uh, Coding Dojo is about training people with no software background to learn how to code. And uh, our mission is about transforming lives through programming literacy. And so we see it as a platform, not just an education company. So when COVID hit, we realized that there are so many other small businesses that's being impacted and they cannot open the shop front. And so uh, we are thinking about how do we leverage the people that we have trained over the years and other you know, software enthusiasts to help brick and mortar mom and pop stores. And so uh, we launched Tech for America, which is a non 501c3 nonprofit. And this nonprofit mission is to you know, help small businesses to overcome COVID by building digital platforms, websites, apps, so that they can connect to their customers and uh, hopefully able to weather the storm. So can you, I would love to hear a little bit of the story of how this came into being, because, you know, launching something in the middle of a pandemic is is pretty, pretty impressive and pretty interesting. So did you sort of see one example and think, God, we need to do something about this? Or was it more a kind of natural evolution to what you guys had already built? You know, um, we always had a thoughts about how do we using technology to do stuff for good. And, uh, you know, in the past, back in 2016, we launched some programs with the Jewish Family Services train highly skilled refugees to learn how to code. And uh, as we start to see, you know, when COVID first started back in, I think the very first case in the United States was um, sometime in this January, February timeframe. And in March, that's when everything just uh, fell through the roof with COVID hitting the economy. And we start to see other people have this aspiration to volunteer. And then we are like, hey, you know what? Can we leverage the, you know, six, 7,000 alumni that we have to help local businesses? And uh, we put out this call to action to help local businesses. And I think we had a close to 200 volunteers signed up within a week from 33 different states, 12 different countries. I think so far we were able to connect with uh, multiple different type kind of businesses to help them uh, to build digital products and tools and platforms to, to weather COVID, if not thrive in the COVID period of time. That's incredible. That must have been, I think for a lot of people, you know, the ability to suddenly do something and offer something and volunteer something that's going to be really useful for people. I think a lot of people feel quite quite helpless to some degree at the moment. 
I think, you know, as you know, cash flow is super important for these small businesses. And essentially, you cut off their revenue, cut off their cash flow. They cannot, they don't have the money to pay. And as you know, it's extremely hard and everybody's competing for the PPP funding right now. So, you know, the thought we had is that how do we help them be self-sufficient during this period of time? So tell me a little bit about some of the problems that you guys were seeing that you felt that, you know, the alumni could help with. What, what were the sort of digital problems that you were seeing needed to be overcome? So we helped the local GM in Orange County speed up their e-commerce system. And as you can imagine, when COVID impacting our society, every single GM going to lockdown. So there is no gym uh, that can open up and provide services they normally do. And when you cannot do that, you will have no revenue whatsoever. And so a lot of gym owners now is like, okay, how do I find a solution that's able to serve my customers at the same time we can get revenue in the door? And that's a crucial challenge, right? Because when you don't have revenue, you still have to pay rent. You are not going to have a business. And so this gym specifically, uh, they adapted to the COVID by producing and selling on-demand fitness videos and training sessions for their customers. And they are producing new videos every week for customers can subscribe to. And that's a great idea. But the problem is that, you know, there was a huge lag time between a customer purchase and they actually could have received the content. You know, as you can imagine, you know, myself, I work out every single day. So when I purchase a content or purchase a workout, I want to work out, you know, within the next five minutes. And so when you delay the content for, you know, two to three days, that really defeats the purpose. And also, we look into their backend technology tools because the email automation tool and the backend business software just didn't have a direct integration. This is really what led to the lag time of the two to three days before their content was able to be delivered just in time. And so we look into this problem and we're like, hey, can we build some kind of connection system between uh, build a new database connected to so that when the order comes in, our uh, payment system recognizes that and then we are able to communicate directly with an email automation system and a different database to trigger that email, send off the content right away. And so this is actually the challenge that the developer are facing. So we uh, streamlined the volunteers and build out additional functionality so the gym customer can receive their content very quickly. And we had about two to three different front-end developers and working on this and a couple on the back end. And so the results is that you know, customers now receive their content in minutes, not hours or days. And so this is a critically important for a service-based business, especially in the gym sector, right? Because people want to work out at that time. And when they make the purchase, they might be, you know, it's four o'clock, they might be ready to go down to their garage and start to work out. And so how do we solve that just-in-time problem? That's, that's how we were able to solve that with the team that we had on hand. But I do, based on the conversations, this didn't make a significant impact or retention rate and also help them to communicate their customers because with this new feature being launched, the business owner also know when and time of the day people are looking at their content, viewing the content. So they're able to really customize many of their workouts during different time of day for live stream or people can understand their behavior and provide the workouts that fits into people's different schedules. I mean, for, for me personally, if I bought a, a workout and then had to wait two or three days to receive it, I would have lost interest in doing it. I would have be, you know, sitting on the sofa having my dinner. Do you know what I mean? So it's, it's not just solving a business problem, but very much solving a behavior problem too. I want to dig into that first example a little bit more, Richard, because this is absolutely fascinating, this idea of kind of, I guess, pairing up with a with a local gym and being able to essentially completely change their business in a, in a really short amount of time. 
how did this, um, I guess, collaboration come into play? Did you approach the gym? Did they approach you? And, and how did you sort of manage, you know, immediately kind of getting this small business on board with, you know, remote development, building digital products that they didn't previously have? You know, give us a little bit of flavor as to what that was like to work with the small business. Yeah, to be honestly, I think uh, there are a couple of dimensions to this. You know, local small businesses, they're already hungry for, you know, what we call in the industry, digital transformation, right? So we're in the fourth industrial revolution where everything is digital. This industrial revolution is all about digital economy. So AR, VR, machine learning, um, artificial intelligence, data science, all that stuff is really building this 21st century economy. And I think they wanted to, to lean in but because they don't know about much about technology, so they are somewhat like scared, right? And uh, with COVID, it's forcing them to have to, one, survive. And second, as you know, the way to survive in COVID is when people cannot visit your stores, what can you do? It's digital. Go online, using apps, connect with customers. And so when we launched uh, Tech for America, they were already hungry for some kind of service to do this, you know, in my head, I'm thinking about why don't we help American business, small businesses, which is a backbone business to thrive and to find a way to, to operate within COVID. And so once we launched this initiative, we have just tons of requests. And so it was not hard to uh, recruit business to join. It's more about, hey, uh, I think the challenges here is about how do we make sure we have the right team members join different projects so their expertise and uh, can contribute in a productive fashion. Yeah, so talk me a little bit more more through that, Richard, because I mean, even in, uh, you know, businesses that are taking a whole lot of time to think about, okay, how do we do digital transformation? How do we get teams? You know, this can be a process that can take a really long time to working out, you know, who's the right people to work with. And you guys had to do it very quickly. So tell me a little bit more about how did you essentially manage to bridge that culture between small businesses that are used to doing things that maybe are not so digital with, you know, coders and designers and people who are very, very comfortable with using all these kind of online collaborative remote systems? Yeah, I think that's a great question, Gemma. You know, uh, sprint and, you know, the terms that we often talk about in tech, sprint cycles, front end, back end, server side, they are not familiar concepts to, you know, small businesses or gym owners or, you know, athletic trainers, right? So this is a completely new concept to them. But I think where we try to get in the trust and try to speed things up is that we try to really nail down on the problem statement, right? Like, so what exactly is the customer experience we want to create? And what exactly is the problem we try to solve for you? And so once we understand that problem statement really well, then we can, to us, then we understand what's the front-end, back-end, server-side and things. And so we can get the project teams to really focus on that. And then really the second thing is make sure we set the right expectation for the business owners to understand, hey, within the sprint cycle, this is how we conduct a sprint cycle. You know, this is how we deliver the end product. This is what MVP sounds like. You know, when they don't come to us, we go to them. It's like when you get an order, when the chef is making an order from uh, first receival to deliver on that plate, you tend to not bug him with anything else, right? When he's making that steak. So that might be a sprint cycle. So we have to find ways to speak their language. And uh, a lot of times, you know, in the small business owner, they wanted to build things when it's perfect. And for us, it's all about being lean and launch and iterative and feedback for that iterative customer feedback cycle. 
so that's something uh, it's kind of like hard to initially to understand is that you don't have to be perfect. We have to meet the solution statement that we are trying to solve for. And so uh, those are some of the challenges we have to deal with. Quick one then, how did you, I guess, once you'd built the tool um, and, and, you know, worked with the with the small business to make it, to meet their standards and, and explain all these things, you know, how did you sort of transfer the idea of maintenance? Because obviously, as we know, digital tools, it's, it's not that you just build something and then you leave it. There's always more to be done and upgrading to be done and, and whatnot. And I know that these things have been built sort of in a time of crisis and they're trying to, you know, fulfill a need right now. But how do you envision, I guess, handing off these products to these businesses so that they can keep using them beyond the crisis? You know, it's sort of like, as always we all know, for these um, small businesses, they don't have a developer on their staff, right? They, they don't have tech analysts or project managers, scrum masters, you know, and also payroll is one of their biggest, most important thing. You know, when you hire one of these uh, software engineers that they range up to $150,000 a year, that's four to five, six people they can hire, you know, working in the restaurant. And so uh, for us, uh, you know, in the beginning, it's really about create a solution for the product for them. And as we start to end the engagement, we want to make sure for them to understand, hey, this is the requirement. These are the things you have to build. And also we try to educate them as much as possible so they can be self-sufficient in selecting different platforms perhaps that they can use to host their uh, services like cloud or like different platforms. You can do different things that's, that you already have people to maintain. And then maybe once a month you can get a contract developer on hand to help you to run some kind of reports or build a couple of things here and there to improve the uh, solution you're looking for. But generally speaking, we try to make sure they're as self-sufficient as possible. Yeah, because I think that's the whole thing about when we talk about digital transformation, right? There's this, you know, not just in, in the sort of current pandemic time, but in general, it's not just about building something quickly and, you know, I don't know, doing a new product or trying something new. It's about literally transforming the core of the business and being able to therefore continue to grow and whatnot with that digital footprint. And it seems to me like what you're saying is that what you've done for a lot of these businesses is not just keep them, you know, afloat right now, but try and essentially, for lack of better words, bring their businesses into the 21st century and give them that little, shall we say, boost that hopefully keeps them relevant beyond, you know? You don't have to be digitally transformed to be competitive. You just need to be digital ready, you know? So uh, that's the thing. You, we may not need all this 12-cylinder engine to be successful. We maybe only need two in the beginning. So I think so far, a lot of them are doing a good job. Dynamics 365 Commerce delivers a complete omni-channel retail solution that unifies back office, in-store, and digital experiences. This end-to-end solution empowers retailers to personalize customer engagement, increase employee productivity, and optimize operations across physical and digital channels. Request a live demo today by following the link in the episode description. Let's talk a little bit about consumer expectations, um, because again, what I think you guys demonstrate with with Tech for America is this idea of being able to create something fast, get it, you know, on the market, get it being used, uh, you know, change it, make it better quickly, um, so that you can fulfill an immediate need. More so than I don't know, spending a lot of time creating something that you know, as you said, is perfect. But how do you balance customer expectations? Because nowadays, you know, we all have our favorite apps and websites. Most of us, um, you know, particularly people who are going to be listening to this podcast will probably be listening to it on a mobile phone, on a smartphone. You know, I think 
consumer expectations around websites and apps that don't work <laughs> um, are a difficult thing to sometimes manage because we all, particularly people who are not very techy, assume that it must be easy to just build a website nowadays. And why doesn't this work? Why can't I just buy it? Why can't I, you know, get my gym video right now because I've paid for it? Why isn't it on demand? So how did you balance um, meeting customer expectations, but at the same time, making sure that you had a solution quickly for these businesses? I think the great thing is that for a lot of these small businesses, for for example, some of our, I think we all have this in our lives, some of our favorite food trucks, right? We already have a strong following. And the key is that the consumer want to know is, is what, when, where. Like, you know, what are you going to serve? How am I going to get it? And when, when are you going to operate? And so when we build these apps, we make sure we are not over-delivering on the scope, but at the same time, really, we are communicating clearly to the consumers and customers of these small businesses, hey, this is how you're going to, these are the things on the menu, these are the things, how it's going to get to you, and this is what you can order. So we want to make sure, you know, the consumer behavior is there. At the same time, I think, Human behavior doesn't change, whether for COVID or not. I think human, we still like to touch, we still like to feel, we still, you know, want a human connection. And uh, you know, if you look at a, a retail channel, everybody's working on the perfect what they call the omni-channel uh, strategy, which is a combination blended between on-site and also online. And so I think it is just great for these small businesses. Not only have a now, uh, before they always had just a on-site presence, brick and mortar, but now they're able to have the online presence as well. So blended two, I think they're ready for anything. And then for the consumer, you know, you are able to get the best of the both worlds. And at the end of the day, it's always just about providing the service when the customer needs it, how they're going to need it, and in the format they are needing it. And so um, really, it's, it's just about customer-centric. Interesting. I hadn't heard that before, that sort of who, what, where. What an interesting way of, I guess, instead of saying, okay, we need to make sure that we have all these, I don't know, the UX that everyone's expecting and copying this, that, and the other, it almost seems like what you're saying is it's more a, a communication challenge and, you know, being able to be open with your with your customers and with your fans, you know, people that are already wanting to engage with you uh, as a business and, uh, and sort of letting them know and bringing them along the journey, perhaps, as you transform digitally. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, all this, you know, we talk a lot about AI, machine learning. End of the day, it's really about creating a personalized service. You know, add a need of the customer at that time for their specific taste, deliver to their specific need. And so I think that's going to be the future of retail, and that's what we're going to see. It's all about, instead of, you know, one to 1,000, I have this one fixed service format. It's all about how do I deliver personalized customer service just for that specific customer. I think that's always going to be the trend, and that's where AI and machine learning comes in. I want to talk a little bit about the employees of these um, small businesses, because um, I think one of the things that comes up repeatedly when new digital tools enter businesses, there's a sort of feeling from people who maybe aren't in t- you know, the tech jobs or are delivering, um, I guess, in places that suddenly are becoming automated, that they feel that these, you know, programs that they now have to work with are maybe too complicated or maybe possibly taking work away from them. And I wondered, how did you, you know, is there any examples of some of the the businesses that you were working with? How did you sort of, I guess, try and manage the culture change that's also required within these businesses when you suddenly start, for a lot of people, really inflicting quite a large change on their day-to-day job? Of course, the pandemic's created a large change in everyone's job, but specifically with these kind of digital transformations. Yeah, I think that's a great question in terms of, you know, a lot of these... um 
we call the service workers, you know, how do they think about digital transformation? Because, you know, traditionally we think about it every single time we talk about digital transformation, it's always about robotics. And what robotics lead to is elimination of jobs, right? That's not good for people. And I think this is a... I think that this is a fantastic question. I think this is also a broader topic as a society we have to confront. Um, you know, in the fourth industrial revolution right now, with everything being digital, how do we make sure we empower everyone to be competitive in this digital economy? And then it doesn't matter. I, I think, you know, as we can see, sort of like every single company needs a digital storefront. And what that also means is that whether you like it or not, whether you're selling tacos or selling hamburgers or a service, you're a tech company because you need the digital interfaces to be in touch with the consumers. If you're a tech company, you have to speak some of the tech language. And then, and then that's really the implication to us. What does that mean for people working in these kind of businesses? I think, you know, um, they all have to know somewhat about technology. You know, when I first come to the United States, you know, in China, English was the must-learn language when I was in elementary uh, school. But now China teaching in, in, in the kindergarten. And I think in the United States now, the global language is no longer English. The global language is, is coding. Because our entire economy, the back of economy is built on this digital platform. I think as well, there's also the discussion around um, just basic usage of different technologies. You know, I, I read this, um, I don't know if it was, a, it wasn't really a statistic, it was probably a, more of an anecdote where someone was saying if you were born in 1990 or after, then your first language is actually the language of the internet because you've grown up online and you have a level of, I guess, inherent understanding of how digital products work. Um, you know, I'm born in 1991, so of course I'm going to agree with that and say, yeah, cool, I understand the internet. But of course there's lots of, you know, education that's still required in terms of basic digital skills, whether it's from a security standpoint, whether it's from a, even just an etiquette standpoint, um, or, or, you know, or even just allowing people to understand how to use technology to their best advantage without it being burdensome or, or, you know, possibly even damaging. So, you know, I'm curious about how you think we can, I don't know, talk about technology more as an enabler as opposed to this kind of scary thing that a lot of people are uh, feel very intimidated by. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, we're, we're all um, consumers of technology and, uh, you know, people are saying that I'm scared of robot, but really the robots here are working for us. And uh, if we can use technology in the right context and then be constructive and productive about it, it's really to help us solve problems. I love it. Richard, I want to hear um, about some of the companies that maybe you've taken inspiration from, um, over, particularly over the last sort of, shall we say, the pandemic months that we've had, um, but also maybe more generally, perhaps, um, who you think are doing it well in terms of being able to really quickly transform business um, and sort of you know, adapt to these circumstances in a way that you found really particularly compelling. Some of the telehealth companies has done a great job in terms of they're already in the space and uh, leveraging their platforms. You know, patients now doesn't have to go into the hospital and they can have a telehealth platform to talk to their consumers. For example, you know, the Children's Hospital of Los Angeles, they've done a great job. And then a technology startup out of... Um, Boston kind of biohealth is doing a great job in terms of using their data set to be able to actually predict uh, where COVID will outbreak next because a lot of people are searching on their platform. So that based on this abnormal level of searches, they're able to see that. 
And I think, you know, from a digital transformation perspective, you see all these small businesses just has a hunger to leverage this to be better, do better, and thrive. I think that's tremendous as well. You know, you see kids right now stepping up uh, using their 3D printers to build these face masks and different things. And I think, you know, you, you see a lot of different tremendous innovation out of different pockets of the economy. Um, it's not just one to two, but I'm more seeing this like resilient spirit, this American entrepreneurial spirit. It's just uh, great to see. I think as well, one of the things I've noticed, and I mean, I'm over here in London, so it's uh, it's maybe not an American entrepreneurial spirit here, but it's certainly something similar along those lines. Um, but I think one of the things that I've noticed as well is I feel like, and this maybe sounds a little bit cheesy, but I feel like in some sense, doing business um, has become a little bit more personal at the moment too. You know, I'm finding, I'm sending emails to businesses and talking to a real person. And particularly when it comes to ordering food, for instance, here, a lot of um, small businesses are, you know, that used to supply restaurants are now letting you do it direct. And, you know, you get a WhatsApp from Dave, from the butchers saying, we're going to, you know, deliver on Wednesday. Does that suit you? And, you know, there's an element of me thinking, how sustainable is this? And, you know, how do, how do we use technology to try and replicate this? But there's something here that's really quite lovely that I hope stays um, beyond the pandemic. This kind of much more kind, um, shall we say, way about going about business. Um, but also people kind of really appreciating the role that small businesses have. Um, and frankly, keeping us all alive and keeping keeping life moving. And I wonder if you've seen the same with particularly the small businesses that you guys have worked with, how it's maybe changed the relationship they have with their customers. Yeah, you know, like even, for example, uh, wineries now, they're doing uh, virtual tastings, you know, small wineries, right? So that's really interesting. And I think uh, as we go through this, they are getting closer to their customers based on emails or phone. You get to have a conversation, um, you know, briefly or through an email, whatnot, uh, with the business owner you previously have not had. I think the challenge is that how we are able to sustain the human element side of the intimate touch at the same time scale to the services to hundreds, if not thousands of people at the same time. I think that's going to be the challenge for, you know, retail in a sense that is purely personalized. I think that's something everybody's trying to figure it out. What do you think companies can learn from this sort of period that we're going through in the years to come? I think what we can learn, um, gosh, I think there are so many lessons out of this. You know, we encounter all these different challenges we have so many constraints within the business looking at the customer sets has changed now, the economy now has changed, and it's just so many companies are being creative in finding solutions. And I think that's something that's really creative as well. It just really, I feel from my point of view, you know, the harder we are being squeezed from multiple different dimensions, that's when a lot of these uh, unique innovations comes out and then to be creative and uh, do a lot with a lot less. So it's it's really inspiring to see. One of the themes I think is interesting throughout this conversation with you, Richard, is it seems like what you guys have been enabling and, you know, proving is is true is that real creativity can come from constraints or, you know, come from having to adapt really quickly to really difficult circumstances. And I wonder what what does that idea of, you know, creativity in from constraints mean to you? And do you think that this is something we can kind of apply beyond this idea of just building tech to get through the pandemic? Yeah, I think um, my thoughts on this is that nothing is new under the sun. 
right? And anything we can think of is already there. But I think what's so what's so great when you are forced into the solution space is that why call recombinant innovation factor uh, combinatorial innovation? When you combine two or three different things, put them together, and now you are able to create a new, completely new solution to an existing problem. And just things I can think of, you know, education, for example, you know, traditionally speaking, it's really hard to reach this underserved minority community. But now, you know, we are able to leverage technology to really reach out to them when we are forced to adapt to different technology solutions. And so I think in terms of innovation, products, it's really forced a lot of people to look into multiple different disciplines to come out with a new solution, which that's very inspiring to see. I guess we all get caught up sometimes in thinking about too many ideas and how should I execute this? And, you know, you mentioned earlier on this, how, which tools should I use and all that? And I think sometimes being having these constraints and, and being forced can, I don't know, get rid of overthinking or over planning um, or even sometimes talking yourself out of stuff. For, for people who are listening to this podcast who might be, you know, thinking, okay, I need to quickly get myself some kind of uh, digital tool on the go or I need to quickly try and transform things. Maybe they've already given it a shot and it hasn't worked or maybe they want to try another thing that's new. What what sort of advice do you have sort of based on your experience over the last weeks and months um, that you could kind of give out to help people that are thinking about transforming their business quickly, efficiently, um, and to sort of meet immediate demand? Yeah, I think my advice is this, is that always focus on the problem statement. It's a what is a problem you're trying to solve. And then once you understand what problem you're trying to solve, and then go down to the tool selection process, because if you could just go with the tools, there are so many digital tools out there. And, uh, you know, as you start to search those digital tools, you're going to see hundreds of pages of solutions out there. And so you're going to quickly get distracted and you're going to get what I call too fatigued because there are so many tools out there. And so it's really about understanding the problem statement. And second, understanding based on that problem, which tool is the best to solve that problem. I would say third is to really understand, you know, for the tools you're about to acquire, what is the level of effort to implement that? What is the effort to train employees? And also, can you go with something less to get it out faster? And maybe, you know, a little bit more iterative process? And so those are my three advice to anybody that is in the beginning process of this digital transformation. To be honest, I think this applies to a 5 to 10 person brick and mortar business. This also applies to thousands of people who are employed at big companies as well. It's, it's really about what is the problem we're trying to solve. And then we go from there. Richard, thank you so much for joining us on the show. I think what's been really interesting speaking to you is both getting these really practical examples, because sometimes we can be really high level talking about um, digital transformation. It's lovely to kind of really get into the weeds and hear how it's done. And hopefully with some of your really candid responses, people listening can go on and change their businesses and change the world, shall we say. <laughs> so thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on the program to have this opportunity to discuss some of the innovations we have seen out there. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. And you can find out more about Richard's work, Tech for America, and indeed some of the broader themes we discussed today in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and to tune in next time to continue exploring the trends around how companies are adapting to a disrupted world and preparing for tomorrow. 
Learn how Microsoft Dynamics 365 Commerce can help you personalize customer engagement, increase employee productivity, and optimize operations. Request a live demo today by following the link in the episode description.